Showcase Sundays today on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. morning as we continue to welcome 2021 with this our second podcast of the year i'm jack ward with david alt and this is the sonic society the world's greatest showcase of modern audio drama as always i am but the watson to the true audio homes <laughs> mr david alt how are you david very well thank you and good morning everyone Uh, So this week, we are in a bit of a tight bind, as usual, with two great features, including Tom Rory Parsons' take on an M.R. James tale, Lost Hearts, followed up by our old friends at Neon Knights and their Christmas special, well, better late than never, from Will Snyder. And both features begin right here on the Sonic Society. It was, as far as I can ascertain, in August of the year 1812 that a post-chaise drew up before the door of Aswaby Hall in the heart of Lincolnshire. The little boy, who was the only passenger in the chaise and who jumped out as soon as it had stopped, looked about him with the keenest curiosity during the short interval that elapsed between the ringing of the bell and the opening of the hall door. He saw a tall, square, red brick house built in the reign of Anne. The windows of the house were many, tall and narrow, with small panes and thick white woodwork. There were wings to right and left, and they plainly contained the stables and offices of the house. Each was surmounted by an ornamental cupola with a gilded vane. It was altogether A pleasant impression. That was conveyed to the mind of the boy who was standing in the porch, waiting for the door to open to him. Is that him? Is that the boy? Yes, sir. And all the way from Warwickshire, too. <laughs> Fetch the poor lad in, Parks. I must ask you again, sir, if this is, after all, a sound idea. Eh? Sound idea? What? Bringing such a boy into this house, sir. He's an orphan. We don't know him. Who could say what kind of trouble he might cause for you? Why, Parks... The boy's a relation. He's my cousin, twice removed. Was I to leave him in that asylum in Warwickshire, eh? 
No, sir, but... What's done is done, Parks, and we must make the best of it. Yes? Now. Fetch the boy in. Bring him to me in my study. Mr. Jebediah Abney, the owner and chief resident of Azerby Hall, the tall, the thin, the austere, was inclined to give his young cousin a kindly reception. The moment the front door was opened, he forgot his order to Parks and darted out of the study, rubbing his hands with delight. How are you, my boy? How are you? I don't suppose you remember me, eh? No, sir. Why... I'm your cousin, your cousin Jedediah, Jedediah Abney. I'm pleased to make your acquaintance, sir. My name is Stephen Elliot. Oh, a splendid lad. Such nice manners they teach you up in Warwickshire, eh? <laughs> so, how old are you? <clears throat> that is, you're not too much tired, I hope, by your journey to eat your supper? Thank you, sir. No, I'm pretty well. That's a good lad. And how old are you, my boy? I'm 12 years old next birthday, sir. And when is your birthday, my dear boy? 31st of October, eh? That's well. That's very well. Nearly two months hence, isn't it? I like... <laughs> I like to get these things jotted down in my book. Sure as twelve, are you? Certain? Yes, quite sure, sir. Well, well. Take him to Mrs. Bunch's room, Parks, and let him have his tea, supper, whatever it is. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> Will you come with me, Master Stephen? Mrs. Bunch was the most comfortable and human person which Stephen had yet met at Asby Hall. She made him completely at home. They were great friends in a quarter of an hour, and great friends they remained. I was born right here in the neighbourhood, Master Stephen, and I've worked for Mr. Abney 20 years. Now, if... Anybody knows the ins and outs of this district, and especially this house. It's me. So, you feel free to ask me anything, dear. The boy took this offer to heart as time went by. Certainly there were plenty of things about the hall and the hall gardens within the... which the adventurous Stephen was anxious to have explained to him. Who built the temple at the end of the lower walk? Who was the old man whose picture hung on the staircase, sitting at a table, with a skull under his hand? These and many similar points were cleared up by the resources of Mrs Bunch's powerful intellect. There were others, however, of which the explanations furnished were less satisfactory. Is Mr Arbney a good man? And will he go to heaven? Good? Oh, bless the child. Oh, yeah, master's as kind a soul as ever I see. Didn't I never tell you of the little boy as he took in out of the street, as you might say, this seven years back? And the little girl, two years after I first come here. Now, do tell me all about them, Mrs Bunch. Now, this minute. Well... The little girl I don't seem to recollect so much about. <laughs> yeah, I know Mr Abney brought her back with him from his walk one day and give orders to Mrs Ellis, as was housekeeper then, as she should be took every care with. <laughs> and the poor child hadn't no one belonging to her. Mm? No, she told me so her own self. And, yeah, 
And here she lived with us a matter of three weeks, it might be. And then, whether she were something of a gypsy in her blood or whatnot, but oh, well, one morning she got out of her bed before any of us had opened her eye and neither track nor yet trace of her have I set eyes on since. Her master was wonderful put about and had all the ponds dragged, but well, it's my belief she was had away with by them gypsies. There was singing round the house for as much as an hour the night she went, and Parks, well, he declared as he heard them a-calling in the woods all that afternoon. Mm. Dear, dear. A hot child she was, so silent in her ways and all, but oh, I was wonderful taken with her. So domesticated she was. Surprising. And what about the little boy? Oh, that poor boy. <laughs> he were a foreigner. Giovanni, he called himself. And he came a-tweaking his hurdy-gurdy round and about the drive one winter day, and my master had him in that minute, and asked all about where he came from, how old he was, how he'd made his way, where was his relatives, all as kind as heart could wish. But I went the same way with him. They were unruly lot, them foreign nations, I do suppose. It's, he was off one fine morning, just the same as the girl. You know why he went and what he done was our question for as much as a year after. Mm, yeah. Is that his hurdy-gurdy on the high shelf? Oh, I. Mm. Why didn't he take it with him? Now, Stephen, how much do you know about the sciences? The sciences, sir? Yes. Mathematics, astronomy, spontaneous generation, chemistry, alchemy. Nothing at all, sir. Oh, my dear boy, how dreadful. Well, we shall endeavour to instil in you some scientific education. <clears throat> now then, what do you know about religion? <sighs> I know that I am a sinner and that only the blood of Jesus Christ can save me from eternal damnation. <clears throat> Um, yes, 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 yes. Well, it seems as if you've been getting some religious upbringing. Anything else? Sir? Any other religions? Have you... Are there other religions, sir? There are tens of thousands of other religions, my boy, most of which are hundreds of centuries older than Christianity. Here, lad, here. See these books? Gaze at the titles. Books bearing on the mysteries, the Orphic poems, the worship of Mithras, the Neoplatonists. Why, I'll have you know that the Cambridge professor of Greek once remarked that no one knew more about the religious beliefs of the later pagans than I. Yes, sir. I just wish there was enough time to teach you these things. Why wouldn't there be, sir? Eh? <coughs> Uh, what, what's that you've brought in here? It's a hurdy-gurdy, sir. Mrs. Bunch said I could have it. I've been trying to teach myself how to play. Hurdy-gurdy, eh? Um, yes, well, take it outside, my boy. There's a good lad. Oh, my word, Master Stephen. What a horrid dream you had. I haven't told you everything yet. Oh, well, wait till I sit down. Hmm? 
It was so real to me. I was walking to the end of the passage outside my bedroom, where the old bathroom is. The door was locked as it is in real life, and I found myself looking through the glazed window in the upper half of the door. The moon was shining through the outside window, and I could make out a figure which lay in the bath, and a second figure pushed atop a short stool alongside the bath. The skin of both was the color of lead. They were very thin and pathetic. Their lips were stretched into a dreadful smile, and their hands were pressed tightly over their hearts. As I looked in, I could hear a distant moan coming from their lips. And then... Oh, and then... And then, their eyes opened, and they both looked at me. Oh, oh, mercy. One was a boy, about my age, the other a girl, a little older. Their smiles grew wider and more hideous. They each put a forefinger to their lips as if signaling me to be quiet. They removed their other hands from their chests and showed me their empty rib cages. They had no hearts. They'd been removed. Oh my word. What what happened next? Well, then then I, I awoke. Oh no. You poor dear. In bed. No. The sight of those two children with their empty chests forced me to step back in shock and I awoke to find myself actually standing in the passage outside the bathroom. Oh my, oh, 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 oh. And I couldn't help myself. I stepped up to the little glazed window and looked through again, <gasps> and there was nothing there. Nobody, I mean. Just as it should be, Master Stephen. Well, I uh, must make my way upstairs later and replace the little muslin curtain that used to hang over that little window. <laughs> Have you told the master about your dream? Yes. I told him at breakfast. He said he was greatly interested and made many notes in his book. Mrs. Bunch? Yes, Master Stephen. I think I think I've seen those two before. The boy and the girl. Eh? Where? In different places. I was walking along a path that led into the little cups of trees and heard a sound, like someone whispering, Hi. I turned in the direction of the sound and saw two figures running away. I chased after them, but they disappeared. That's me. Another time, Mr. Arbney was showing me some unusual plants he'd been growing in the little plot behind the left wing. I heard that same sound, but high up. I looked and saw two faces in the window. Oh, my dear, now, don't tell me any more about it. What do you think they are, Mrs. Bunch? Oh, shush. And why did they both have such long fingernails? Samhain is coming, Stephen. Samhain, this time of year, has always been considered a critical time for the young by the ancients. What is Samhain, Mr. Abney? It's the end of summer, the time of harvest, the beginning of the black part of the year. And, of course, it coincides exactly with your birthday, October 31st. You, my good lad, will do well to take care of yourself. Shut your bedroom window at night and read the valuable remarks that Censorinus wrote on the subject. Two incidents occurred about this time that made an impression upon Stephen's mind. The first was after an unusually uneasy and oppressed night that he had passed. Though he could not recall any particular dream he'd had. The second was on the following evening, 
Mrs Bunch was occupying herself in mending his nightgown. Gracious me, Master Stephen, how do you manage to tear your nightdress all to flinders this way? Look here, sir, what trouble you do give to poor servants that must darn and mend after you. There was indeed a most destructive and apparently wanton series of slits or scorings in the garment, which would undoubtedly require a skilful needle to make good. They were confined to the left side of the chest, long parallel slits about six inches in length, some of them not quite piercing the texture of the linen. Stephen could only express his entire ignorance of their origin. He was sure they were not there the night before. But Mrs Bunch, they're just the same as the scratches on the outside of my bedroom door, and I'm sure I never had anything to do with making them. Mrs Bunch gazed at him, open-mouthed, then snatched up a candle, departed hastily from the room, and was heard making her way upstairs. In a few minutes, she came down. Well, Master Stephen, it's a funny thing to me how them marks and the scratches gonna come there. Hmm? Too high up for any cat or dog to have made them, much less a rat. Oh, for all the world, like a Chinaman's fingernails, as my uncle in the tea trade used to tell us of when we was girls together. Yeah, I wouldn't say nothing to Master, though. Not if I was you, Master Stephen, my dear. And, uh, well, just turn the key of the door when you go to your bed. I always do, Mrs. Bunch, as soon as I've said my prayers. Oh, that's a good child. Always say your prayers and then no one can't hurt you. (laughs) All right, my dear, let me get back to my mending so you can get to bed at a decent hour. Mr. Parks, what brings you to my pantry? <laughs> Master may get up his own wine if he likes of an evening. Either I do it in the daytime or not at all, Mrs. Bunch. I don't know what it may be. Very like it's the rats or the wind got into the cellars. Yeah, but I'm not so young as I was, and I can't go through it as I have done. Well, Mr. Parks, you know it is a surprising place for the rats, is Asby Hall. I'm not denying that, Mrs. Bunch. And to be sure, many a time I've heard the tale from the men in the shipyards about the rat that could speak. I've never laid no confidence in that before. But tonight, if, if I'd demeaned myself to lay my ear to the door of the further bin... I could pretty much have heard what they was saying. Oh, there, Mr. Parks, I've no patience with your fancies. Rats talking in the wine cellar, indeed. <laughs> well, Mrs. Bunch, I have no wish to argue with you. All I say is, if you choose to go to the far bend and lay your ear to the door, You may prove my words this minute. nonsense you do talk, Mr. Parks. Not fit for children to listen to, hmm? Ah, You'll be frightening Master Stephen there out of his wits. What? Master Stephen? 
I didn't see him before. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Master Stephen knows, knows well enough when, when I'm a playing a joke with you, Mrs. Bunch. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll return to my quarters. Good night. But, Mr. Parks, what did the voices sound like? Could you make out any words? Did you see anything? Mr. Parks? Mr. Parks? We have now arrived at October 31st, 1812. It was Sawin and the boy's 12th birthday. It was also a day of curious experiences for Stephen. A windy, noisy, restless day. As Stephen stood by the fence of the grounds and looked out into the park, he felt as if an endless procession of unseen people were sweeping past him on the wind, vainly striving to stop themselves, to catch at something that might bring them once again into living world. After luncheon that day, Mr Abney said, <coughs> Stephen, my boy, do you think you could manage to come to me tonight as late as 11 o'clock in my study? I shall be busy until that time, and I wish to show you something connected with your future life which it is most important that you should know. You are not to mention this matter to Mrs. Bunch, nor to anyone else in the house, and you had better go to your room at the usual time. Eleven o'clock? Oh, yes, Mr. Abney. I shall be happy to meet you at that time. See Mr. Abney. Ten o'clock. I've got an hour. <sighs> what is that noise? Is it coming from out on the ground? seem to be floating about among the shrubberies. Eh? Oh, now I can't hear them. No, whatever it was, it's gone. If only it wasn't so infernally dark out there. Who's behind a cloud? Ah, here it comes. <gasps> Who's that down there? On the terrace? It looks like a boy and a girl. Oh, oh no, no. It's, it's the two I saw in my dream. The boy and the girl stood side by side, looking up at the windows, whilst the girl stood still, half smiling, with her hands clasped over her heart. The boy, a thin shape with black hair and ragged clothing, raised his arms in the air with an appearance of menace and of unappeasable hunger and longing. Shone upon his almost transparent hands 
and Stephen saw that the nails were fearfully long and that the light shone through them. As he stood with his arms thus raised, he disclosed a terrifying spectacle. On the left side of his chest, there opened a black and gaping rent. There fell upon Stephen's brain rather than upon his ear the impression of one of those hungry and desolate cries that he had heard resounding over the woods of Aswaby Hall all that evening. In another moment, this dreadful pair had moved swiftly and noiselessly over the dry gravel, and he saw them no more. Inexpressibly frightened as he was, he determined to take his candle and go down to Mr Abney's study, for the hour appointed for their meeting was near at hand. The study opened out onto the front hall on one side, and Stephen, urged on by his terrors, did not take long in getting there. Ha <laughs> Stephen, Stephen, my boy. Right on time, right on time. Come in, come in, come in. Let me pour you some tea. Sit down, lad, there in the couch. Do you take sugar? Of course you do. <laughs> Drink up. It's a chill night. It'll warm you. <clears throat> Thank you, sir. Now, my boy, as I indicated earlier today, this is a very important night for you. Your twelfth birthday, coinciding with Samhain. Drink your tea, there's a good lad. Christianity sought to dull the effect of Samhain by calling it All Hallows' Eve, don't you see? <laughs> now, allow me to explain why I wanted to see you tonight. It was a belief, very strongly and generally held by the ancients, that by enacting certain processes, a very remarkable enlightenment of the spiritual faculties in man may be attained. That, for example, by absorbing the personalities of a certain number of his fellow creatures, a man may gain a complete ascendancy over those orders of spiritual beings which control the elemental forces of our universe. Do you understand, Stephen? Not exactly, sir. <sighs> I'm so tired. What did you... Eh? <laughs> no matter. It is recorded of Simon Magus that he was able to fly in the air, to become invisible, or to assume any form he pleased, by the agency of the soul of a boy whom, to use the libelous phrase, employed by the author of the Clementine Recognitions, he had murdered... I find it set down, moreover, with considerable detail in the writings of Hermes Trismegistus that similar happy results may be produced by the absorption of the hearts of not less than three human beings below the age of 21 years. To the testing of the truth of this receipt, I have devoted the greater part of the last two decades. The first step I effected by the removal of one Phoebe Stanley, a girl of gypsy extraction, on October 30th, 1792. The second by the removal of a wandering Italian lad named Giovanni Paoli, 
On the night of October 31st, 1805, the final victim, to employ a word repugnant in the highest degree to my feelings, must be you, my cousin Stephen Elliot. Your day must be today, October 31st, 1812. Now, don't be afraid, Stephen. Are you afraid? Oh, you've dropped off, haven't you? <laughs> the best means of effecting the required absorption is to remove the heart from the subject while he still lives, to reduce it to ashes, and to mingle the ashes with about a pint of some red wine, preferably port. The remains of the first two subjects were not difficult to conceal. A disused bathroom for one, a wine cellar for the other. <laughs> Some annoyance may be experienced from the psychic portion of the subjects, which popular language dignifies with the name of ghosts. <laughs> but the man of philosophic temperament, yes, will not attach importance to the feeble efforts of these beings to wreak their vengeance on him. <laughs> I contemplate with the liveliest satisfaction the extended existence which my experiment, if successful, will confer upon me, not only placing me beyond the reach of so-called human justice, but eliminating to a great extent the prospect of death itself. Now, my boy. <clears throat> I feel the quiet beating of your heart. I have grown quite fond of you in the short time you have been with us. Yes, I have. But I have a feeling that you would understand and accept what I am about to do. Eh? <coughs> What's that? Who the devil are you to? What do you want? No, stay back. What are you doing? No, it can't be. You and you... Get back! Get away from me! Get out! No! 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 Stephen was found next morning, asleep on the couch in the study. He told Mr Parks that he could not remember anything that had happened the previous evening. Mr Abney was found in his chair, his head thrown back, his face stamped with an expression of rage, fright and mortal pain. In his left side was a terrible lacerated wound, exposing the heart. There was no blood on his hands, and a long knife that lay on the table was perfectly clean. The window of the study was open, and it was the opinion of the coroner that Mr Abney had met his death by the agency of some wild creature. But Stephen Elliot, after he grew old enough to understand, drew a very different conclusion. You've been listening to Lost Hearts by M.R. James. It starred Austin Mosher as Stephen, 
Pete Lutz as Mr. Abney, Sarah Golding as Mrs. Bunch and the narrator, and Jason D. Johnson as Mr. Parks. Tom Rory Parsons was the producer, composer, director, and sound designer. Thanks to Rachel Peebles for creating the fantastic cover art, and special thanks to Austin's father, Scott Mosher. This is CK Standard Speaking. Lost Hearts by M.R. James was originally published in 1895 and was adapted specially for this production by Pete Lutz. Welcome to Neon City, where the lights are bright but darkness looms. Where Detective Jack Tracer spends his evenings investigating the strange, eerie, and unknown. What secrets lay hidden just beyond the street lamps? Find out on Neon Nights, the arcane files of Jack Tracer. Christmas, a time of celebration and merriment, exchanging gifts with loved ones, sipping cider in front of a warm fireplace, and singing carols until the wee hours of the night. A night where so many celebrate the love of their family and friends that enrich their lives. But for Jack Tracer, it's just another lonely night, in another dingy bar, sipping cheap whiskey while trying to forget the past. This particular Christmas Eve, Jack found the bar empty, except for one lone stranger. You know, I hoped I'd be alone here tonight. It's been an interesting few weeks, and I was planning a quiet evening of fogging up my brain. But, I gotta say, it's nice to have some company for a change. Cheers. Christmas. You know, it used to be one of my favorite holidays. No matter how screwed up life was, it was the one day a person could feel safe and loved. What changed that? Well, <laughs> that's a hell of a story. One you're probably not going to believe, but since I'm four whiskeys deep and I don't have much to care about these days, I'll tell you. I'm a uh, detective, you see. A, a detective who always finds himself dealing with out-of-the-ordinary cases. They seem to stick to me like a wad of gum on the bottom of an old shoe. And sometimes, they stick a little too hard. It was December 23rd. And I had recently left the police department and struck out on my own as a private detective. It was the first Christmas in my new office, and I was putting the finishing touches on my holiday decorations when there was a knock on my door. It's open. Hello? 
Are you Jack Tracer, the detective? I am. My name is Jacob, and I need your help. Well, then you're in the right place. Come in, have a seat. Alright, kid, what seems to be the issue? (laughs) It's kind of hard to believe. I haven't seen a few things in my day, so why don't you try me? I want you to find a monster. A monster? Yes, sir. You want me to find a monster? Yes. Alright, kid. Who put you up to this? No one. Was the guys down at the precinct? The precinct? Well, thanks for stopping by. As you can see, I'm a busy guy, and I've got a lot on my plate. Wait, Mr. Tracer, the children at the orphanage are in danger. Easy, kid. They ain't no joking matter. This is no joke. Someone, something, is taking them. All right. Slow down. Tell me exactly what is going on. I was eight years old when my parents were killed in a car accident. I didn't have any other family that could take care of me, so they sent me to the Greenbrier Home for Lost Souls. I was so nervous, I had never been away from home before. The men from the state dropped me off and left me with Mother Superior. She runs the orphanage. She she was... She was scary at first, but the longer I was there, the I realized how well she took care of us. We were always well-fed, and we had plenty of playtime between our studies. It wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. Until my first Christmas there, I noticed that all the kids were acting weird. Not like in the, you won't get any presents from Santa sort of way that most kids get before Christmas. It was, it was more like they were scared. When I asked why, they told me it was because of the Krampus. The Krampus? What the hell is a Krampus? He's he's like the mean Santa. He's a big, hairy monster with giant claws and horns like a goat. Mother Superior said he steals boys and girls who have been bad. He throws them in a big sack and drags them into the woods. Kid, that sounds like the kind of crap that adults feed the kids to keep them straight. I thought it was silly, too. Until Sid. Who's Sid? Sid was the new kid at the orphanage. He was older than most of us, and mean, too. He was only there for a couple of days when he started bullying and pushing everyone around. One night, Mother Superior caught him holding a kid's head in the toilet. She gave him the paddle and locked him in his room. A swirly, huh? That's rough. Later that night, after everyone had gone to sleep, I heard a noise in the hallway. I peeked out and saw Sid's door was cracked open. I snuck into his room, but Sid was gone. When I walked over to his bed, I saw claw marks on his bedpost and a big clump of black hair on the floor. Before I could scream for help, there was a noise outside. I ran to the window and saw what looked like a big animal going into the woods. It was dragging something behind it. I think it was Sid. I was so scared, I ran back to my room and hid under my covers. I didn't sleep at all. The next morning, I told Mother Superior what I saw, and she told me I probably had a nightmare, and that Sid had been taken to another orphanage because of his behavior. Then she sent me on my way. I think I'll have to go along with Mother Superior on this one. Now, if you'll excuse me... It wasn't a dream! It was real! And Sid wasn't the only one. What do you mean? After Sid, other kids started disappearing too. Year after year, all taken in the middle of the night. It was the Krampus. I know it was. I wrote and called the police, but no one would believe me. I finally turned 18 last week and could go out on my own, and now I'm looking for some help so other kids don't get hurt. The police still think I'm crazy, and that's when I found your name in the phone book. Please, Mr. Tracer, 
Those kids need your help. All right, kid. Let's say I believe you enough to take this case. How the hell do you expect to pay me? I doubt you have a job, and I'm pretty sure you can't pay my bills with pocket lint and tinker toys. Once I turned 18, I was able to collect my inheritance from my parents, so I have some money. I could pay you $200. Please, just go to the orphanage and check it out. It's so close to Christmas. There's no telling how many of the children have been taken. So I headed out to the orphanage. I sure as hell didn't believe that load about a Krampus, but if something was happening to these kids and they were disappearing, something needed to be done. Besides, rent was due and I was low on cash. It was almost dark when I pulled down the gravel drive of the Greenbrier home for lost souls. There was an old mansion about an hour or so outside the city. It looked a little run down, but it wasn't nothing a little paint and a good landscaper couldn't fix. I knew I couldn't just announce I was a detective. On the slim chance something wasn't on the level, I'd get nowhere fast. Luckily for me, this wasn't my first rodeo. Standing in the doorway was one of the biggest men I had ever seen. He had to duck down when he stepped onto the porch and was as wide as a truck. You could show a movie on this guy's forehead. The way he stared at me with those dead eyes and slack jaw, I could tell that this one was a few cards short of a full deck. Excuse me? Who are you? Oh, I'm, uh, I'm Jack Tracer with the State Inspections Office. Mother Superior, say nothing about inspection. It's our annual surprise inspection. I don't like surprises. Dieter, who is it? Inspector here. Oh. Guten Tag. I am Mother Superior. May we help you? Good evening. I'm Jack Tracer with the State Inspections Office. I'm here to conduct the annual surprise inspection. Surprise inspection? But we've never had one of those. It's something new the state is doing. You should have received a letter about it. I never received such a letter. Do you have any paperwork? Uh, Yes, ma'am. Here you go. Hmm. Well, it seems everything is in order. Dieter, please make sure everything is prepared for dinner. Unser order die Kinder? Unser. Ja, Mother Oberon. Now, Herr Tracer, follow me. I was glad to see that I hadn't lost my touch in forging documents. When you're undercover, that bit can go sideways real fast. We started with a tour of the house. Mother Superior was surprisingly cordial and welcoming. She was one of those women who had a tough exterior, but give off the kind of soothing warmth that made you want to hug your grandmother. Not sure how that kid could have thought that she was up to something. So far, I hadn't seen anything that seemed off, except maybe that skyscraper that answered the door. 
We were wrapping up the tour of the kids' rooms when a scream echoed in the hallway. Ugh, stop it, Randall! Stop it! Ugh. Randall, that is enough. Take off that horrid mask and leave Amanda alone. I didn't mean nothing by it. I was just playing. What if I told you about being a bad boy this close to Christmas? But if I'm bad, the Krampus will get me? That's right. He'll come right out of those woods and take you away in his sack. The Krampus. You are familiar with the Krampus, Herr Tracer. I've heard a little bit about it. Don't you think it's a bit much for these kids? It's no different than telling them Santa Claus is real. And when you have this many children to care for, you take all of the help you can to keep them in line. Now, Amanda, please go clean up for dinner. Randall, you come with me. Please excuse me, Herr Tracer. I will be back in a moment. Let's go, Randall. Amanda, huh? I'm Jack. Hi. You don't believe in all this Krampus stuff, do you? Oh, he's real, mister. He's big and scary, and he's real. Have you ever seen it? A few nights ago. I saw it out my window. It, it took Stephanie from down the hall. Can you show me to her room? Yeah, come on. That one was her bed. I wasn't even sure what I was looking for. So far, this case was going nowhere fast. If anything had actually happened, a whole week had passed and any evidence would be long gone. But since I was there, I thought it couldn't hurt to give it a quick once-over. Had to hurry before Mother Superior came back. Nothing seemed suspicious, until they flipped back the sheets. And there, snacked on a chip in the bed frame, was a long, dark, coarse hair. Amanda, what color hair does Stephanie have? Blonde. Why? Herr Tracer, what are you doing in here? Oh, um, uh, Amanda was just helping me out with the tour. Amanda, I thought I told you to get cleaned up for dinner. Yes, Mother Superior. Goodbye, Mr. Jack. Well, I think that just about does it for the tour. Everything seems to be up to code. I'll just need to double-check your most recent records, and then I can be on my way. Is that necessary? I do have to finish preparing for dinner. Unfortunately, it is. It shouldn't take long. Very well. Follow me. Here we are. You will find what you need in this filing cabinet. Thank you. Now, if you don't mind, I need to check in Medita. Take your time. I should be able to manage on my own. You can find me downstairs once you are finished. Will do. I started sifting through the records. Everything there was in order, down to the letter. I was close to calling this case a bust, when I started to notice a strange pattern. Throughout the year, there may have been one adoption or transfer, two tops, but once it hit December, they came more frequently. Just about one a week. And that's a lot in a month. And that just didn't sit right in my gut. I jotted down the names of most of the recent adoptive parents and the orphanage where the kids were transferred to. 
it wouldn't hurt to do a little more digging. As I headed back downstairs to meet with the superior, I ran into Amanda going to dinner. Amanda, here, uh, let me walk you down. You don't believe me about the Krampus, do you? Well, I'm not sure about any hairy monsters, but maybe something weird going on. Say, would you like to help me? Help you? How? Can you keep a secret? (laughs) I'm real good at secrets. Good. I'm not really an inspector. I'm a private detective that was hired by a kid named Jacob to come check out the place. You know Jacob? He used to take care of me when he lived here. He seems like the type. All right, Amanda. I'm hereby naming you my junior detective. Here, take this. It's a long-distance two-way transmitter. Just push the button on the side and talk into this part, and I'll be able to hear you on my end. You can report in if you see anything strange. Thanks, Mr. Jack. I hope I don't have to use it. Same here. Now... Off to dinner with you. Did you find everything you need? Oh, ha, 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 ha. Oh, it snuck up on me. Um, I did. Uh, everything looks to be in order. If anything comes up, I'll be in touch. Very well. Auf Wiedersehen, Herr Tracer. Und Merry Christmas. And a Merry Christmas to you. I still had a few connections down at the precinct that could look into these records for me, but it was late by the time I got back to Neon City, and they had already punched out. I was going to have to wait until morning. My stomach was growling like a rabid dog, so I grabbed a quick bite, threw back a couple of whiskeys at the Smoky Cat, and went back to my office to grab a couple of winks. I had just dozed off when... What the hell? Hold it, chump. Mr. Tracer, it's me, Jacob. (sighs) Jesus, kid. What the hell were you thinking? That's a good way to get one in the head. I'm sorry. Haven't you ever heard of knocking? Mr. Tracer? You scared the shit out of me. Mr. Tracer! What? Could you please put the gun down? Oh. Sorry. Now, what the hell are you doing here? What did you find out at the orphanage? Do you believe me about the Krampus? Calm down. Working a case ain't that easy. You don't just walk into a place and find out everything you need. It takes time. But there isn't any time. I'm working on it. I have a few weak leads to look into tomorrow and a set of eyes on the inside. A set of eyes? Some kid named Amanda. You saw Amanda? Is she okay? Easy. Look, kid, I hate to say it, but I think this whole thing may be in your head. Outside of some strange records and a piece of hair, there's not much to go on. So unless something big happens, I think this may be a bust. Mr. Jack! Mr. Jack, it's here! I need you! Help! Amanda? Amanda! Damn it! We've got to get out there. You're right, except for the wee part. You're staying here. I don't need you getting in the way. I'm coming. I have to make sure Amanda is safe. Besides, I know that place like the back of my hand. I can help you get in. You need me. (sighs) Shit. All right, kid. Let's go. I had the gas pedal through the floorboard, heading out to the orphanage. It was going to take some time to get there. Time I hoped we had. We didn't even know if anything was happening. This kid could have gotten freaked out by a shadow or a tree branch scraping on the window. 
but I couldn't live with myself if something did happen. We eased partway down the drive and killed the lights. The place was pretty dark and I didn't see any movement. We just needed to get in to check on Amanda. If she's fine, then we leave and no one would be the wiser. Okay, kid, this part's yours. How do we get in? There's an old secret underground passage just through those trees. It leads to a trap door in the basement. A trap door in the basement? You gotta be into do some shady stuff or something like that. The basement door's near the stairs, so we should be able to get up there pretty quickly. Alright, let's do this. Alright, which one's Amanda's? That one there. Okay, stay behind me. Amanda? Nothing. I checked the closet and under the bed, and Amanda was nowhere to be found. And that's when I saw it. Hair. The same as I found on Stephanie's bed but this time in a clump laying next to some muddy footprints. They were big and looked kind of like a... like a hoof. What the hell is going on here? Mr. Tracer, look! There's a glow out in the woods. That's it. That's where it took Sid. Okay, you stay here in case Amanda comes back, but stay out of sight. Remember, we broke in, and last time I checked, that's still a crime. didn't have time to go back the way we came, so I took a chance and slipped out the back door. A little ways into the yard, I found more of those footprints. When you know it, they were leading directly toward the glow in the woods. This just officially got fucked up. I quickly moved to the brush as the glow grew brighter. Trudging through the mud and wet trees is not the way I expected this holiday to go. I finally came upon a clearing with a fire in the center. Next to the fire was a long table, and on it a few lengths of rope, a cleaver, and a bunch of small jars. Something told me I was about to earn that $200. Just past the table were a bunch of small cages, and inside one of them was Amanda. I was about to creep over to let her out when I saw something come out of the tree line from across the clearing. I couldn't believe my eyes. It was the Krampus. Its hoofed feet sloshed through the mud towards the cages. It stood looming over the cages as its hot breath steamed in the cold air. I had to do something and do it quick. I slid my gun out of the holster and was pulling back the hammer when... When I came to... The wall was a blur. I tried to stand, but realized that my hands had been tied together and secured to a stake in the ground behind me. I raised my head to see where I was, and there, right in front of me, stood the Krampus. Its face looked like a cross of a human and some sort of goat. 
with twisting horns jutting from his forehead. And its breath, oh, it smelled like a locker room that had been filled with manure. Well, aren't you an ugly son of a bitch? That is quite enough of that. Guten Tag, Herr Tracer. You've got to be shitting me. <laughs> I assure you, Herr Tracer, no one is shitting you. Jacob was right about the Krampus, but... But you? Where the hell did you find that thing? Ah, yes. I don't think you'll be needing that anymore. You can take that off now, Dieter. What the hell is going on here? You see, Herr Tracer, Dieter and I are one of the last of our kind. The Krampus is real, and we are the keepers of its soul. We keep it safe. For you see, the Krampus is so much more than the stories you've heard. He's more than a punishment for bad little boys and girls. He is man's punishment. Punishment for the evils that humankind has bestowed on this earth. With our help, he will arise and bring judgment to this world. The earth as we know it. With all its sins will be scorched and a new way of life will be born. The Krampus will bring this world back to nature where he will rule as king and we shall rule by his side. You are seriously one disturbed lady. But why take the kids? He requires a sacrifice in his name. A sacrifice that comes in the form of a... Feast. A feast? Oh, God. You're eating them. <laughs> Tis the season. You sick bastards. I should thank you. We were having a hard time deciding between Randall and Amanda for tonight's festivities. But since you showed up today poking your nose around and recruiting Amanda for help, we decided to take them both. Randy... Where is he? I'm sorry, but you just missed our main course. We saved little Amanda for dessert. You psycho! Now, if you will excuse us, I believe I am ready for seconds. Let her go and take me instead. Oh, Herr Tracer, I wouldn't deprive you of missing this. Dita is quite graceful when it comes to dressing a child. It's remarkable to watch. <laughs> Mr. Jack, help! Mother Superior turned and crossed the table as Dita dragged the screaming Amanda out of her cage. The bastard threw her hard onto the table and started strapping her down. I had to think. I had to get out of these ropes somehow, and I had to do it fast. I tried loosening the stake on the ground, but the giant son of a bitch drove it in deep. It wasn't budging. I was losing time and fast. That's when I felt a hand grab my wrists. Hold still. Jacob, I thought I told you to stay put. Lucky for you I didn't listen. Here, I'll cut you loose. Thanks. Now hand me that log. What the Oberon? Jack! 
Hey, Krappus. Huh? You just made the naughty list. To all, a good night. Jacob, are you hurt? No, I'm okay. Mr. Jack! Hold still. I'll cut you loose. Thank you, Mr. Jack. You saved me. Come on. Let's get you back to the house. I told the police everything, and they looked at me like I had just escaped the loony bin. They didn't come around until I took them to the clearing in the woods. It didn't take long to find the remains of the missing kids in a shallow grave nearby. The sergeant assured me that his officers would stay at the orphanage until a replacement for Psycho Superior could be brought in. Amanda and Jacob were standing on the porch as I headed toward my car. Are you leaving, Mr. Jack? I think I've had enough of this holiday spirit for one day. You know, you make one hell of a junior detective. Here's your radio back. Keep it. Give me a shout if you ever need anything. Thank you, Mr. Jack. For everything. Jacob, are you ready to head back? Actually, Mr. Tracer, I think I'm going to stay here tonight. I want to keep an eye on Amanda and the others. So yourself... Oh, and Mr. Tracer? Yeah? Here's your money. Keep it. Consider it a donation to the Greenbrier Home for Lost Souls. Make sure they have a good holiday. Merry Christmas, kid. You know it's funny. Funny how a dud case can get foobarred so quickly. One minute, you're hanging garland making merry in your office, and the next you're fighting a cannibal cult out in the woods. Life really knows how to stick it to you sometimes. As I was getting in the car, I turned to give Amanda and Jacob one last wave goodbye. And there, in the field, I saw something moving through the moonlight. It was big. Like, like really big. And I could see the silhouette of... Horns? No. It couldn't be. It stopped at the edge of the tree line and turned back around. I rubbed my eyes to get a clear look, but when I looked back, it was gone. I chalked it up to a combination of exhaustion and possible concussion and headed back to Neon City. And, well, Christmas just wasn't the same after that year. Every twinkling light, every caroler, every ornament took me back to that night. If I only believed them, then maybe I could have done more. Maybe I could have done something sooner. Maybe that kid Randy would still be alive. Anyway, that's why I always be in a place like this on Christmas. Just trying to forget. Well, I guess there's always next year. 
Well, I should be going. I need to get some rest. I gotta keep my strength up if I'm ever gonna find my way back home. But uh, that's a story for a different time. Thanks for listening, friend. And, uh, Merry Christmas. Neon Knights, The Arcane Files of Jack Tracer, was co-created by Will Snyder and Rachel Craig, and is an evil kitten production. The episode with The Case of the Krampus was written by Kevin Alves. Theme song is done by Daniel Carl, with additional music by Kevin McLeod and Dr. Saxlove. Jack Tracer is played by Will Snyder. Jacob was played by Spencer Davis. Mother Superior is played by Amanda Foreman. Dieter is played by Anthony Genovese. Amanda is played by Rebecca Wolf, and Randy is played by Elian Tobias. Please visit us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Neon Knights Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Jack underscore Tracer. If you listen to us on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. And finally, if you love the show, help us grow by sharing and subscribing to Neon Knights. Thank you for listening. And that's this week's show. Please check the show notes for links for both shows this week at sonicsociety.org. Join us next week as we continue with some more wintry jazz. It's music to my ears. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Jack Ward. And I'm David Alt. See you next Sunday. Bye now. Oh, by the way, Jack, John Bell wanted me to uh, oh, we don't pick have a bone time. with you. We'll have to talk next week. <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> Sonic Society is written and produced weekly by Jack J. Ward and David Alt, with original music by Sharon B. at SharonB.com. All features, interviews, and audio drama shorts are owned completely by their originators and provided to the Sonic Society by Creative Commons Licensing. The Society itself originates from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Thanks for listening. This has been an Electric Vicuna production. There are many things that we can all do that may help stop the spread of the coronavirus. But one thing we can all do is to have a plan in case you do get sick. First, consult with your health care provider for more information about monitoring your health for symptoms suggestive of COVID-19. Second, 
Stay in touch with others by phone or email. You may need to ask for help from friends, family, neighbors, community health workers, or more if you become sick. And finally, determine who can care for you if your caregiver gets sick. For more information, go to cdc.gov and be well, everyone.